and... She bit her lip. I fear he is young for his years. Remember how my coming was postponed for a year until he was ready to be married, and then it was postponed again? That had been a strange business, veiled in secrecy. Not even to Maria would Catalina confide her secret suspicions that all might not be quite well with Arthur, and that some dreadful deed had finally made her coming to England possible. It was as if saying the suspicions out loud would confirm them. At least it gave me time to learn French, she said brightly. King Henry's queen and his mother, the Lady Margaret, had specially requested it, as they spoke no Spanish or Latin, and they had urged her to cultivate a taste for wine, as the water in England was undrinkable. She had duly complied. She had expected many such requests and instructions to prepare her for her life in England, but there had been just one more, one that had immeasurably troubled her. King Henry wants me to forget Spain, Catalina revealed. He thinks I will be happier not remembering it. Dr. de Puebla wrote that to the king, my father. Dr. de Puebla was Spain's resident ambassador in England, and it was he who had negotiated her marriage. King Henry means well, I am sure, Highness, Maria soothed. I can never forget my homeland, Catalina declared, tears welling, as visions of the land of her birth came to mind. But I am determined to be a good Englishwoman. She blinked the tears away. We must make ready, she said, and then, mimicking her duenna, I must always remember that as soon as I set foot on English soil, I am no longer the Infanta Catalina, but the Lady Catherine, Princess of Wales. Catalina had been told that her name must be anglicised to please her husband's future subjects. For one day, when King Henry died and Prince Arthur succeeded to the throne, she would be Queen of England. Maria laughed. Catalina had Doña Elvira to the life. Catalina smiled but as she went ahead of Maria down the steep stairs to the stern castle, where she and the ladies of her suite had been allocated cabins, she was dutifully resolving to think of herself as Catherine from now on. The cabins were cramped and creaking, with barely room for a feather bed, and they were unpleasantly stuffy after four days at sea. Mercifully, it had been a smooth crossing, unlike the earlier one from La Coruña, It was hard to believe that she had set out on her wedding journey more than five weeks ago, excited at the thought that the long-awaited new life was about to begin, yet grief-stricken at leaving her own country and the mother she loved and revered. Four days in raging, storm-tossed seas had made homesickness pale into insignificance beside the fear of drowning and the constant irregular buffeting of the waves. Catherine and her ladies had been horribly, disgustingly sick. All those hours she had intended to devote to improving her English had been spent lying prone, clinging to her wooden cot, as the ship bucked and dipped, and praying in terror for the tempest to stop. Her greatest fear had been that the storm was sent by God as punishment for the great sin that had made her marriage possible, and that they would all be drowned. But God, it had seemed, was reserving his vengeance for another day. Never would Catherine forget the relief she felt when the ship's master managed by a miracle to dock at Laredo, and she had been full of devout thanks for the four weeks' respite there while they were forced to wait for the seas to calm.
She had hated boarding the ship again, dreaded entrusting herself once more to the unpredictable temper of the waters of the Bay of Biscay and the English Channel. Mercifully, they were calm, but she had still been horribly seasick. Catherine and Maria found Doña Elvira in the largest cabin, which Catherine herself occupied. Her duenna came from an old and respected Castilian family, and was devoted to Queen Isabella, and determined to do her duty by Isabella's daughter. In the absence of Catherine's mother, Doña Elvira's word was now law in the Infanta's household. She was a stern, proud woman in her late fifties, with a disdainful eye and a sharp tongue, too vigilant for comfort, and too old to remember what it was to be young and bursting with life. And yet, for all her strictness and rigid outlook on life, the Queen trusted her.